One of the biggest days every year for our Hispanic service is Mother's Day. And so we're making more room for them today. And as a result, our students have left the student center so that they can have all of Pier 419. And our classic service that usually meets at this hour at 9.30 with a little different style of music is joining us in this service. Let me thank, say thank you to our student ministry and for those who usually attend our classic service for your flexibility today to help us reach more people for Christ. Can we give it up for those two groups? That's super. Just the spirit of seven. And some of you know what I mean by that. Hey, I want to give you permission to do something today, even if you're watching us online with uh, family and friends. I want to just give you permission to turn around and look and see who's seated around you right now. Would you just do that? Would you just kind of, if you haven't already checked those folks out, just kind of evaluate. No, I didn't give you permission to talk. <laughs> just to look, all right? Don't touch either. You could get in trouble. Just look. All right, so probably what you've seen around you today is there's some fairly good-looking folks sitting around you, right? Well-dressed, well-adjusted, upper-middle-class suburbanites. And I know some of you are thinking, not in my section, all right? <laughs> well, that may be tr more true than you know because probably somebody you just looked at is trying to hide something, all right? Maybe, maybe they're trying to hide a feeling of being inferior, Maybe that person is trying to hide the fact that they have a gnawing sense of worthlessness. Some of them are embarrassed by their appearance. Others are uh, a little embarrassed by their lack of achievement at this point in their life. Some of them are even suffering from guilt because their life hasn't quite turned out the way they thought it would turn out by this time. And some are even under the burden of shame. Does that surprise you? You thought you were the only one, didn't you? The truth is, is that all of us here struggle with this issue of love of self or self-esteem. And we're talking about love in this series and we come to talk about love of self. And I want us to look at a scripture. It's a scripture that uh, Jared Heard, our teaching pastor, actually used last week. And he emphasized one part of this scripture. This week, we're going to emphasize a different part of it. If you have your Bibles with you, I invite you to turn with me to Mark, the 12th chapter, beginning in verse 29. If you don't have a Bible, you can just look there, starting in verse 29 on your handout that you received on the very back there. Jesus answered the foremost, hear, O Lord Oh, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your mind, with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your mind, and with all your strength. And the second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. Now, this was Jesus' answer to the question, what is the greatest command? And he said, well, the greatest command is to love God. And you didn't ask me, but let me tell you the second greatest command, and that is that you love your neighbor just like you love yourself. And he really gave us a third command there that was implied. It was just assumed that if you have a healthy relationship with God, you're also going to have a healthy biblical relationship love of self. And I think sometimes what we do is we think that if we're following Christ, if we're followers of God, that somehow we're supposed to not love ourselves, that we're not to care for ourselves. And nothing could be further than the truth. In fact, the standard for us to love others is that we're to love others as we love ourselves. And the fact 
is that how we love ourselves or choose not to love ourselves impacts every area of our lives. The, the lack of love that we may have for ourselves determines our daily disposition, how we feel every day, how we go through life every day, our mood. There was a study done by Focus on the Family years ago and they surveyed 10,000 women who were suffering from severe depression. And in the process of doing that, they found out the top 10 reasons that these women reported that they were having trouble with their moodiness, with a dark cloud that hung over them. I'm going to go from 10 up to 1 in David Letterman style, all right? Number 10, aging. Just the challenges of getting older. Number 9, in-laws. Nervous laughter. Some of them are with you today, all right. That's a different message. Number eight, children. Number seven, a lack of energy or fatigue. Number six, sexual issues. Number five, finances. Number four, lack of romance. For those of you guys here, that's different than sexual issues, all right? Number three, loneliness. Number two, boredom. And the number one reason given by 50% of those 10,000 women for their severe depression was a lack or low self-esteem. Low self-esteem. And what's interesting to me is that 80% of those surveyed gave low self-esteem as one of their top five reasons for their depression. And so how we choose to love ourselves or not love ourselves affects our daily disposition. Second of all, a lack of love impacts all of our relationships. Uh, I met my wife when we were both sophomores in high school and we started dating each other, but we weren't dating each other exclusively yet. That came a little bit later on. In the process, after we had met, uh, Marsha went out with an, uh, a fellow that went to high school with her and she gave me a report later on on the date that he called her up and his first sentence to her was, I guess you don't want to go out with me, do you? And she said, well, I, I don't know. A ask me on a date and I'll tell you whether I want to go out or not. And he, said, and he asked her. And then he says, uh, I'm, I'm going to take you to, to a movie, but you probably don't want to go to a movie, do you? And he says, no, a movie's fine. Well, they got on the date. They were at the movie. And he said, oh, you don't like this movie, do you? And then after they got some snacks, he said, oh, uh, you don't like the popcorn and Coke that I bought for you, do you? And then later on, he said, you're having a terrible time, aren't you? And she said, by the end of the day, he talked me into it. <laughs> you know, it's hard to be loved and to love someone who doesn't love themselves, who doesn't have that confidence in themselves. In fact, here's what I believe. I believe the hardest person to love is someone who has, doesn't have a healthy biblical self-love. Because every time you give any kind of critique or criticism, it is memorialized in their life. It becomes a monument that they keep pointing back to. Well, you said you didn't like this about me. And any time you try to give a compliment or to affirm the relationship, it's totally discounted. Because in their mind, they're thinking that they can't appreciate that because I don't appreciate that. They can't love me because I don't even love me. And no trust of love can be built up in a relationship when someone doesn't love themselves because they can't imagine someone being faithful or to them or, tr or loving them because they don't even have a self-love. It impacts our daily disposition. It impacts all of our relationships. A lack of love can 
restrict our productivity. It doesn't matter how creative you are. It doesn't matter what skills you have acquired. It doesn't matter what natural ability that God has given you or the spiritual gifts that God has poured out on you as you come into his family. If you don't love yourself, there is a lack of confidence. We, we, we read a, a scripture earlier out of uh, Mark, the, uh, Mark the uh, 12th chapter. And it talks about the importance of loving ourselves as we love others. If you don't have that love for yourself, there is a lack of confidence. And when there is a lack of confidence, what happens is you have this great fear of failure. And so you play it safe. Jesus told a story that many of us are familiar with, the, the, the parable of the talents where one person is given five measures of money and a second servant is given two measures of money, and then a final servant is given one measure of money. He goes on a distant trip, the owner comes back, and he asks the servant who had five measures of money, how'd you do it? He said, man, I went out there and I risked it, I was entrepreneurial, I, I took some chances, I worked hard, and now I've got 10 measures of money. And the master said, well done, good and faithful servant. You were faithful with a little, I'm gonna trust you with much. Take the 10 measures of money and let's see what you can do with that. Same conversation happened with the one that had two measures. But then when he came to the one who had one measure and he said, what did you do with what I gave you? And you remember what he said? He said, I was afraid. Didn't think I'd do very well. I, I, he might have even said, you know, I could tell you didn't have a whole lot of confidence in me yourself. You gave him five, you gave him two, you only gave me one. And he did this comparison thing. So he said, I stuck it in the ground didn't do anything with it. The master said, I'm gonna take that little bit that you have and I'm gonna give it to those who were faithful. And he never realized his potential because he was so afraid to take a risk. He was so afraid of failure. He had no confidence. He did not have the confidence that his master had in him. His master would have given him nothing if he thought he couldn't do anything, but he gave him something. I don't know what God has placed in your hands. I don't know what gifts or abilities or opportunities but he expects us to have confidence because he has confidence in us. And he expects us to take a risk and he expects us to live out our potential. What happens when we don't love ourselves is we have a self-fulfilling prophecy. We say, I'll never amount to anything. And sure enough, we're right because of how we view ourselves. Now, and kind of a funny twist, what a lack of self-love will also do is it will cause us to be driven the very opposite, instead of pulling back and burying our talents, there are some who are driven. They've got something to prove and they are driven for all the wrong reasons. They're trying to prove to others and they're trying to prove to themselves that they are worthy. And so they always wear all their medals on their chest. Do you know people like this? People who are quick to mention all their achievements, always dropping names and always trying to claim credit and make sure you know what they've done. And some of them are actually, because of their drivenness, they're successful by the world standards. They become CEOs, and they become millionaires, and they become people with a long list of achievements, and they have all of the possessions that go along with that, and many times the money, and yet it is still never enough. They never feel worthy. And they neglect their families to achieve what they think would finally give them self-worth, to hear the words of approval they think will finally make them feel love. In my office, I have a, a, a several shelves now of books that have profoundly changed my life. They're the keepers. They're the ones that are kind of the plumb lines for my life. 
And, and one of the books that went on that shelf about 30 years ago is still there. I looked yesterday. It's called The Paradox of Success by John O'Neill. The byline on that book is winning at work while losing at life. I thought the title itself deserved the book going on the shelf. And there's some people who are winning at work but losing at life and at the root of all of it is because they are trying by performance to be worthy, to be lovable. And it's never enough. Now I could go on and on and talk about how a lack of love will impact your life. It causes you to manage people the way you do, to spend the money the way you spend it, to choose friends the way you choose friends to medicate the pain in your life the way you medicate the pain in your life. But suffice it to say that if you don't love yourself, every area of your life will be impacted. So it begs the question, what makes the difference in how we view ourselves? What makes a difference when it comes to self-esteem? What makes a difference when it comes to loving ourselves in a healthy, biblical way? One word. Mirrors, it's all about mirrors. Now when I was growing up in Southeast Dallas as a young person in the Dallas area, there was one thing that was for sure every year. And that was that once a year, we would get out of school and receive a free ticket to the State Fair of Texas. And as that day approached, we'd all talk about what we were gonna do at the State Fair. And very frankly, to be honest, I was kinda embarrassed because I didn't like the rides on the Midway. I didn't like the roller coasters. I liked the things that slung you around. I just didn't really care about that. So I kind of kept it kind of quiet when they were having discussions about what they were doing because the thing I was looking forward to at the fair was the fun house. And my favorite part of the fun house was the Hall of Mirrors. Have you been there? Because you go into the Hall of Mirrors, there's all these funny mirrors that you can look into and there's one mirror that you look into that will make you 10 feet tall. And you'll have arms that go all the way to the ground and 14-inch fingers and an eternal neck. And then you move to the next mirror, and the next mirror, mirror you're a human bowling ball. Now, it occurred to me the other day, what would happen if someone replaced all the mirrors in their home with the fun house mirrors? What kind of image would a kid grow up thinking about himself? In fact, I looked online this week and I find you could actually buy the funhouse mirrors. You could put them in your home. It's a little expensive. They're about $2,000 a mirror, but you could do that. And what if they had done that and all the mirrors were that second mirror, that bowling ball mirror? What kind of distorted conclusion would a young person come to if that's all that they ever looked into, if they've never looked into any other reflection anywhere else, if that was the only reflection they had back, what kind of erroneous conclusions would they come to? By the way, this is a picture of me in a funhouse mirror. <laughs> I think it's a manly chin, don't you? In the same way, if we're not careful, we're looking into the wrong mirrors to get a sense of who we are. The first mirror that most of us grew up looking into were, were, were the eyes of our parents. And some of us uh, had the privilege, like I did, of growing up in a home, and most of the time that I looked into those mirrors, I saw love, and I saw affirmation, and I saw affection, and I saw unconditional love. 
But there's some of you who grew up in homes, and that's not what you saw when you looked into the eyes of your parents. The reflection you saw back was condemnation and judgment. And there were some times of affirmation, but it was based on your performance. When you did what your parents wanted you to do, you felt loved. When you didn't, even from the standpoint of choosing what college you went to or what career you might pursue, there was disapproval that come from those eyes. And some of you today don't love yourself very much because you didn't see the right reflection from your parents' eyes. I believe that it's God's will for us as parents to give our children the best reflection we can back to them, an accurate reflection to them. Uh, This is not about fixing blame today because the truth is is that most of our parents did the best that they could. And, And many of our parents were scarred from the reflections that they saw from their own parents' eyes. But I do believe that God wants to use parents and he can use parents to portray his love to them. But the reality is, even the best parents are not going to be able to adequately reflect our true value. I saw a poster when I was in high school that I still can see today. It said, our lives are shaped by those who love us and those who refuse to love us. And that is very, very true. And we need to be self-aware enough to know what mirrors we've been looking into. And we need to make some kind of evaluation about whether or not those mirrors are the final word. God does want to use parents, but he never wants the reflection we receive back from our parents to be the final word in our life. Never. When we left our home or we went off to school as kids and we began to see our reflection in the mirror of our peers. Oh, that's a cruel mirror sometimes, isn't it? You're not tall enough. You're not fast enough. You're not cool enough. You don't uh, listen to the right music. And, And we get this sense of worth from people who are struggling with their sense of worth at the same time. Such inaccurate mirrors. And then even teachers, and God bless you teachers. What a high and holy calling, like the high and holy calling of parenting to have the privilege to shape young lives. And most of the teachers that I know as most of the parents I know are doing a great job. But there's some teachers out there who call people stupid and there are some teachers out there who say you'll never amount to anything. Out of their frustration, they've sent some cruel things that have marked some children for the rest of their lives. And some of you have looked into those mirrors and perhaps of a teacher or a coach And you've got an inadequate and an erroneous reflection back from them and from employers. And you lose your job and the message you get is that you're not productive or you're not worthy of pay. Some supervisor who is critical of you and there's not anything that you can do that that supervisor will recognize in a positive way. And looking into that on a daily basis, we spend a lot of time at work. You begin to get an erroneous view of your value and of your worth. And some of you, even at the deepest level, at the most vulnerable level, have gotten some wrong, inaccurate, distorted reflections from your spouse. And God wants to use teachers, and God wants to use our peers, and God wants to use employers, and he certainly wants to use our spouses to speak into our life words of hope, words of potential and words of future 
But God never intended for any of those relationships to be the last word, the final mirror that we look into. God says that it's time for you to look into a new set of eyes. If you have your Bibles with you, let me ask you to turn with me to 1 John, the fourth chapter, verse 16. It is the verse that, verses that we started off this series on love about. In 1 John 4, 16, it says this. It says, we have come to know and have believed the love which God has for us. God is love, and the one who abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. By this, love is perfected with us so that we might have confidence in the day of judgment. Because as he is, so are we also in this world. Look what it says in verse 18. There is no fear in love, but perfect love, or that perfect reflection. It casts out fear. It gives us confidence to be who God has created us to be because fear involves punishment and the one who fears is not perfected in love. Don't miss verse 19. It says we love because he first loved us. The root of loving ourselves, the root of loving others, the root of loving God is because God first loved us and God wants his word about us to be the final word. The day you become a Christian, a lot changes. For one thing, you're adopted into the family of God. You have a forever family from that moment on. You become, according to the scriptures, a joint heir with Jesus Christ. Think about the riches that are yours for eternity. You are forgiven. No longer do you have to drag your past mistakes behind you. No longer are they on your record? Every day is a new day. But the other thing that changes is how we look at ourselves. We begin to look at ourselves as God looks at us. Simon's name meant pebble. And when Jesus came and he met him, he changed his name. He changed his name to Peter, Petra, which means rock. Now, Jesus didn't change his name to Rocky because he was a rock, but because Jesus saw something in him that he did not even see in himself. There came a new confidence in Simon Peter's life because the God of the universe, the God who created him, the God who knew more about him than anyone else saw a potential in him that he didn't even see in himself. God wants us to see ourselves in a different way. The root cause of poor self-esteem, a lack of love of self, is inadequate and inaccurate mirrors. And when we look into the love that the Scripture tells us here, that is perfect love, that casts out all fear, we find that that love is not performance-based. It's not based on physical beauty. It's not based on conformity, and it's certainly not based on comparison. It is unconditional love. I was challenged after the service last night. Somebody said, I, I, don't, I don't find anything in the Bible that talks about unconditional love. The Bible says that if we don't do what God says, we're going to hell. Just a positive word after the service. And I said, yes, the Bible does talk about unconditional love. When Jesus died on the cross, the Bible tells us that Jesus died for the sins of the whole world. 
The thief who was hanging on the cross did not do anything to deserve the love of Jesus. And yet he said, today you'll be with me in paradise. Now, there are, to clarify, conditions to relationship with God. If you're going to enter into his family, you have to confess that you are a sinner. You have to turn. The Bible calls that repentance. You have to turn from a lifestyle where you're in control to a lifestyle where God is, is in control. Friends, there's no merit to that. We don't get any extra points for that. That's just taking advantage of the unconditional love of God. And even as a believer, please hear this, even as a believer, his love is still unconditional. Now, we can hurt ourselves by not following his commandments. You realize that his commandments are there to protect and provide for us. And as a believer, if you ignore your, uh, his commandments, you do so at your own peril. There are some natural consequences to disobeying God. And even though we're loved unconditionally, we, we, we miss out on the benefits of being loved unconditionally if we don't align with him, if we don't cooperate with him by his power and by his grace. But I think sometimes even as Christians, what we feel, if we're honest, we, we, we know this in our head. The, the, what, what does the first John say here? It says, I want you to come to know and believe the love of God. Now, I, I doubt there's there anybody here today or anybody who's listening online that doesn't know about the love of God. But believe is the difference, isn't it? Because here's what really happens. What happens is if we have a pretty good week where we're obeying God and we're following his commands and we're taking advantage of the guidance that he's given us and the power that he's put in us, we start feeling pretty good about ourselves. You know, I'm a really great Christian and so this would be a great week for me to ask God for that new job. This would be a great week for me to ask God about getting a date with that good-looking girl. Yeah, because... I've kind of earned that, haven't I? No, we'd never say that out loud, but that's what we think. On the other hand, if you have a week where you stumble and fall, and when I say stumble and fall, I'm not talking about an accident. I'm talking about you were hanging with the people you shouldn't hang with, and you knew that, and you were going places where you knew you shouldn't be, and you were entertaining thoughts that you knew that a Christian shouldn't have anything to do in their mind, and you fall and stumble because you've walked on the edge of that cliff, what happens? You're, you're thinking, I'm not asking God for nothing this week because I don't deserve it. Friends, none of us deserve it any week. God's love is unconditional. What that means today is it doesn't matter what your past is. Your future can be different. It doesn't matter what anybody's told you about yourself. God has called you rock, and he believes in you, even when you don't believe in yourself. We need to look into that mirror that says that we are valuable because we were created by God. I've always been intrigued with art. I love art. Uh, I was intrigued the other day when I realized that this particular painting was purchased several years ago for $84 million. Now, let me just quickly say that art is in a very individual thing. I would not have paid $84 million for that painting. Uh, just me, I think it's kind of an ugly painting. I mean, the, the colors are not exactly, you know, I, I'm not sure I'd paid $84 for that particular painting. And I thought, why would somebody pay $84 million for that? Perhaps it's because of the creative title 
that the artist gave to this painting. The, the title of this particular painting is Vase with 15 Sunflowers. <laughs> I'm serious. They spent a lot of time on that one, okay? Or maybe it's because of the guy who painted it, a guy named Van Gogh. That's what makes the difference. Two things that determine the value of art. One is who painted it, who created it. The second is what anybody's willing to pay for it. This has set a standard. It will never be bought again for less than $84 million because that has set the standard. And the artist was the reason that someone paid what they paid for. You know what determines your value and what determines mine? First of all, who created us? You, my friend, have been created by the greatest artist in the universe. Your personality and your body and your mind, that's why you have great worth. And because of what has been paid for you. Jesus Christ allowed his blood to be poured out to buy you back from the darkness that you were in. You're priceless. You can't go on an auction and anybody bid high enough for your worth. That's you. That's not somebody else. That's you. And God has a great plan for your life. It's like a diamond. You can take a diamond and you can allow that diamond to fall into a pig pen and it can be covered by waste and filth, but it's still a diamond. It doesn't look like a diamond. And by the way, it's not doing anybody any good in the middle of that pig pen, but you could take it out of that pig pen and you could clean it up and it could have the value that was always there. In the same way, it is separation from God. It is the sin in our life that separates us from the only accurate source of our self-worth. The prodigal left home. He thought he was smarter than his dad, and he went into a far country, and he lived a terrible life, and he spent all of his money, and he found himself in a pig pen. But even while he was in the pig pen, he was still his father's son. All the rights and privileges were still his. He just didn't know it in the middle of the pig pen. And it was his rebellion that kept him from an accurate reflection of his true worth. And he came to himself. And he came home and his father embraced him. And the father put a robe on him and shoes on his feet. And he put a ring on his hand, a symbol of the fact that he was still a joint heir with his father. I don't know where you are today. Maybe you're in a pig pen today. Maybe your failure and your sin and your rebellion against God has separated you from the only true reflection of your worth. But you can come home. No matter what you've done, you can come home. And when you come home, you're going to receive a reflection in the eyes of the perfect heavenly Father who created you and paid a great price for you. And you can see that you're lovable again. Not because of what you've done but because of who you are in Christ Jesus. Let's thank him for that. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for perfect love that cast out all fear. Perfect love that erases all of our past. A perfect love that draws us back to your bosom. A perfect love that allows us to have a healthy respect for who you made us to be. Not so that we can be self-centered, not so that we can think that we're better than others, 
but the opposite there, Father, where loving ourselves, we can then turn and love others exactly like we're loving ourselves because you first loved us. We thank you for that. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.